0: Some of us that are, you know, between the 18 and 35-ish, I can't wait for that young adults retreat thing. I'll let you know, cool, because I don't know what any of that stuff is, man. I have no idea what those songs are and all that kind of stuff, but some of the older folk probably know what the heck uh, that was about, but yeah, I know. Boy, it's good to be here. Hey, how many people that are here right now are veterans? Any veterans? If you're a veteran, stand up. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, it's so easy to take that for granted. How many of you are off tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah, yeah you get more excited about that, huh? Hey, man, what a, what a privilege it is that our veterans would fight so that we could come together in freedom and worship our Lord we don't have to do it undercover we don't have to fear for our lives but we can come and we can worship and we can come and go and everybody can see us and there's no threats i mean that's a it's a privilege that we have in this country and boy it is so easy for us to take that for granted isn't it so easy you know we're going to be spending time this morning in john first john again we're going to be going through first john for quite a while this morning we're going to be in first john 2 we're going to be starting at 12 going through 14 it's going to be three verses you know, experts say that there's four stages of life. There's childhood, there's youth, there's adult, and then there's this, my, you're looking wonderful. <laughs> you know, when people start coming up to you and say, my, you're looking wonderful, <laughs> you know you're kind of in that final stage. <laughs> but but John, John only divides it into three. He talks about children, fathers, and young men. And you know, as I, as I studied this and as I, I was... Pondering this this chapter, and I'm going, What was it that John was thinking that all of a sudden he just plopped this these three verses in here? Um, it, it, I was going, what, what was going on? And I just wonder if maybe John, as he's talking to the disciples or he's talking to the people, he's writing this manifesto against the heresy that's beginning to grow um, around the area. People talking about, well, Jesus really wasn't real and stuff like that. And, and John's really coming against this. I wonder if he just started thinking, Man, I can remember. All the stuff that Jesus did to help us grow in our relationship with God. So let's take a few minutes and let's just read together 1 John 2, starting with verse 12. If you aren't already there, kind of go to the back of your Bible and work your way forward and you'll come to it sooner or later. So 1 John 2, starting with verse 12, says this. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I've written to you, children, because you know the father. I've written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. So, so John starts talking to three, really three different people groups. And I had to wonder, I wonder if John just thought about his own relationship with Christ and how that happened and what it was like when they first met Christ. And I just, I just, just kind of went through the Gospel of Matthew and thought, I wonder if I could see stages in the Gospel of Matthew where the disciples are kind of children and as they mature into young men. And right now John is full on into the father stage. Okay, he is loving people, discipling people. He's probably somewhere between 90 and 100. Okay, so I mean he, he is he's well into being able to be the stable person who cares. But as I looked at it, it was interesting because when you, you look at the gospels, you see Jesus calling the disciples. And when Jesus called the disciples, he just called them to follow him. Just come and follow me. He didn't call them to some theology or some principles or something. He just said, come and follow me. Come and hang out with me. Because Jesus knew that as they hung out with him, transformation would happen. And so as we read through this stuff, I mean, Jesus starts talking in in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 about um, what we now call the Sermon on the Mount. And it's like more of come follow me is kind kind of like come scratch my head. I mean, what are you talking about? Blessed are the weak. Blessed are those who rejoice. Blessed are these. And don't pray like this. And, you know, trust God. I mean, it's like, Huh. and and, and jesus does it and then then for like the next six or seven chapters the disciples are just watching jesus do all kinds of stuff i mean he's healing people he's casting out demons he's calming the sea he's raising the dead i mean he's just loving people in all kinds of different circumstances and they're just able to sit and hang with jesus and just watch jesus be jesus what a great time that is for the disciples and see, when, when God brings us to himself, you know, we come as sinners separated from him and we receive his forgiveness. We're welcome into his family eternally. And then we're set free from this life of sin and death. And what a freeing thing that is. I mean, I can remember I was a sophomore in college and I grew up in the Catholic church. So I, I, I went to church every Sunday. My mother faithfully took us to church every Sunday. And, and I tell you, that was no small feat if you know anything about my family, because at the beginning, there was like two of us, and then three of us, and then five of us, and then seven of us, and then nine of us. So, so if there's any of you that kind of get stressed out about bringing your family to church, just think, oh man, she did it with nine kids. And, and there, we were nine ornery kids, by the way. We were not just these compliant kids. So I mean, every Sunday, we were in church, and we went to church, and we sat there. And, and it's interesting, because... After I became a Christian, I go, wow, because I would sit there, and somebody would get up and stand at this thing and say, now we're going to have a reading from the Epistle of St. John, or now we're going to have a reading from the Gospel of Mark. You know, I had no idea that was the Bible. I had no idea what they're reading. It's just something from some guy named Mark, and it really wasn't because I wasn't taught. You know, I'm sure somebody told me that was the Bible, but at that point in my life, I really didn't care anyway. I was just coming to fulfill my responsibility. And, and one thing I did know for sure was that there was a God. I knew there was a God. I, was, I knew there was a God. He was up there somewhere, and I was down here, and I knew that at some point in time, he and I were going to hook up. Okay? And, and to, to mitigate that, I thought, you know, I'll go to confession. <laughs> because, you know, if we do hook up, I want, I want to kind of make this thing as amiable as possible. You know? And so that was my life. And a sophomore in college, a friend of mine invited me to this, this college retreat. And he lied to me. He says, oh, there's going to be pretty girls. We're going to play basketball. We're going to play volleyball. We're going to have so much fun. It's great up there. And I get up there, and we sit, and we sing, and some guy talks to us and all kinds of stuff. But you know what? I can still remember that message. This guy, Chuck Miller, he says, he says God is the designer, the producer, and the director of the universe. And he went through this book called Isaiah. And he talked about how God designed the universe and how God produced everything that went on and how God directs it personally and that he personally is going to be able to come and direct your life. And for the first time, I realized that that God out there was somebody who could talk to me here. He could teach me how to be a better basketball player, he could teach me how to be a better friend. He could teach me how to be a better employee. He could teach me how to be a better person. I mean, God wanted to come and actually change who I was as a person here and now. That was revolutionary for me. And as a new child in Christ, as I gave my life to him and I surrendered myself to him, man, I tell you, I, I just loved being with my daddy, Abba Father, man. I just loved being with him. Man, if he was at church, I was at church. And by the way, I wasn't at church 10 minutes late like I used to be in the Cathedral. I was at church on time, sitting there. If I had to do anything, I did it before I got here because I didn't want to miss anything my daddy had for me. If he was at a Bible study, I was at the Bible study. If he was in my apartment when I was sitting alone in the Word in my quiet time, I wanted to be there, man. I, I could not get enough of my daddy. It was awesome. It was awesome. And and I think he probably loved the fact that I was in love with him that much. See, those of us that are parents can remember, right? I can remember when my kids were um, young. I have two great daughters. And I can remember when they're younger. And and I would come home from work and they would run up to me and go, daddy, daddy's home, daddy's home. And they would put their arms around me and Marge would go, yeah, go to dad. Um, (laughs) But you know what? They just they just grabbed my neck and just hug me and go, oh daddy, you're home, you're home. You know the thing about that is? They didn't care what car I was driving, they didn't even care where I worked, they didn't care what kind of house we lived in, they didn't, they didn't care what kind of furniture we had, they didn't care how much money we had, they didn't care about any of that stuff. You know what they cared about? Daddy's home. Man, I just love daddy. That's how it is with kids, isn't it? Kids just don't get the big picture, do they? They don't care if you have bills. They don't care how you get the food. They just want to make sure the food is there when they want to eat it, right? I mean, all that stuff is stuff that kids really aren't concerned about. They just live minute by minute, and their life is just one free-flowing, exciting adventure. You know, as Christians that are children in Christ, that's kind of how it is, isn't it? When we become Christ, we're kind of like that guy that says, man, I don't know all this stuff you guys are talking about, Jesus. All I know is that once I was blind, and now I see. Once I didn't get it, I thought he was somebody out there and he was never going to touch me. And now I realize that he's here and he wants to change my life. And I don't understand that. You know, I didn't know theology. I didn't know any of that stuff. All I knew was, man, Abba Father, I can't get enough of my daddy. And then John goes on and he says, not only does he talk to the children, but he talks to the father. And he says, the fathers, I talk to you because you know him who has been from the beginning. You know him who's been there from the beginning. You are somebody who's grounded in the experience of a relationship with God. You've moved way past this daddy stage. You've, be, you've become experienced in, in who God is. It's the word know that, that, that they use in this passage is the same word that they talk about when Adam knew Eve. It's this intimate, deep, personal relationship that fathers have developed with God over time. It's the richness of knowing that it's, it's beyond um, just um, whether I like it or I don't like it. Or anything else. It's, 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 it's me recognizing and experiencing the fact that God is faithful in everything that he does. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's about having the same mind as Christ has, thinking the same, acting the same. See, fathers are the ones that take these children and they move children up into the young adult stage and through into the father stage. See, it's exciting. I saw these two girls over here, man, they're dancing and screaming and stuff. You know, it would be cool if we did that every once in a while, you know. I mean, that's the child stage. But but as we get older, sometimes that with the maturity that happens in that is, is something that brings that depth that we need to have. See, fathers have fought through the battles and the temptations. I mean, they've had to make the tough decisions that they've had to make, that God has been able to prove Himself faithful as they made those decisions, they've had to decide, am I going to tithe or am I going to buy a new car or a new TV or whatever it is that we're going to spend our money on? I mean, what's my priority on how I deal with my finances? Am I going to be somebody that um, cheats or am I going to be honest? Do I serve and love or am I selfish and self-centered? Am I faithful in how I live in my marriage? Am I going to make excuses and rationalize and justify my behavior in my marriage? I mean, fathers are the ones who have worked through those things. And they found that God is faithful as they walk in obedience to God. And they see Jesus again and again and again prove himself faithful in what he calls them to do. Both in the good times and in the tough times. They see that Jesus faithfully has brought them through that. And when when people go through those life struggles with God, it just deepens their relationship with God. Because you know what happens? They begin to believe and understand that God's nature doesn't change. That God is always the same that God is always faithful, that God is all-knowing, that God is all-present, that God is all-powerful, that God is always good, that God is always right. They, rec- they recognize that. It's not based on their circumstances. It's not based on what happens. It's based on who their God is. And the fathers bring that stability to allow children to know that as they move into that young adult stage, that God is faithfully going to take them through that. What a great, awesome responsibility it is for fathers to be able to walk through life that way. They're the ones that agree with with Paul that says, you know, I count as all but lost for the sake of knowing Christ. See, there's nothing more precious, nothing more passionate than Jesus. The fathers have the the children and the grandchildren. They're the ones who are discipling the young men to be fathers, who can disciple young men to be fathers, who can disciple young men to be fathers, who can disciple young men to be fathers. That's how God moves from generation to generation to generation because men choose to grow and mature and become fathers who will help young men grow and mature and become fathers. It's a great calling. And I'm sure that fathers who walk this way aren't going to hear Jesus say, but I have this one thing against you. You've lost your first love. I don't think they're going to hear that. I think they're going to hear something more like this. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest of my father." What a great thing it's gonna happen as fathers move into that relationship with the Lord. And then, then um, John talks to the young man. And I think he, he left them kind of, you know, at last because he really wanted this to sing. He says, You are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. See, at this stage, people are starting to realize as they move from this childhood stage into the young adult stage that there's an enemy. But there's an enemy and the enemy is keeping people in the dark. See at this stage young men start seeing a bigger picture. They're not, it's not just all about what's happening as I'm enjoying my daddy and stuff. It's, hey there's a purpose that I have. There's a purpose that God's calling me to be. There's a purpose that, that I'm supposed to live out. And I just wonder, as John kind of is writing this letter, if he's thinking, man, I remember the process that Jesus kind of took us through as young men, as he was helping us grow through this process of becoming young men who overcome the evil one. And think about it, I mean, if you take Matthew and you just kind of look through those last 18 chapters, from Matthew 10 to Matthew 18, you see Jesus starting to Get more focused on his purpose, and he starts to help the disciples realize that there's a bigger picture than just them watching Jesus walk around doing a bunch of cool stuff. And he empowers them, and he says, "Hey, you guys go out in twos, and you're gonna you're gonna go and minister, and you're gonna go and, and make a difference in the world." And they do, and they go, oh, "That is pretty. Oh, that's pretty incredible." And he starts really to actively start pursuing his purpose. He begins to challenge the Pharisees, and he starts getting the Pharisees a little bit riled up. And he gets this crowd of people that gathers around, right? You remember that five thousand men. So who knows how many there were? And the disciples come to say, "Jesus, send them away. They got to go eat. They must be hungry." In other words, we're tired of this, Jesus. Let's get out of here. And Jesus goes, "You feed them." I go, no, not the answer. And so he he breaks this bread. He goes, "Who has bread?" He gets breaks in and he feeds five thousand people. And he, he continues to challenge the Pharisees. He, he continues to teach him parables. And the Pharisees have to come, and, I mean, the, the apostles have to come and say, what are you talking about? In fact, they come to Jesus and they go, Jesus, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when you said that? And he goes, yes, because they're blind guides. See, they're, they're blind guides. And see, here's the deal, man. When we understand and we start getting this bigger picture that there's an enemy, and the enemy doesn't just come on some frontal attack and he come with his little pitchfork and his tail and his horns and say, hey, I'm going to come and take you out. He influences people. He is deceptive. He uses people to, to do his work and influence people away from what God wants to, to accomplish. And so Jesus is beginning to help his disciples see that. He says, these guys are blind guides. You need to understand what they're doing that are, that's not fulfilling my purpose. And so now they're starting to move into this young man's stage, and they're starting to understand this battle that happens against the, the, the enemy. And then there's another crowd of 4,000 people. And this time, Jesus goes to the disciples and says, Hey, these guys are hungry. You need to feed them. And they had the same response they did with the 5,000. See, it, they're growing, but they're not there, right? They go, We can't feed them. How are we going to feed them? We don't have any food. Man, if I was Jesus, I'd go, Oh, you guys. Let's just, I'm going to pick 12 more. God, 12 more. <laughs> but he does it again because are we dense or are we dense? We're dense. dense. It takes us a while to get it, right? So he does it again with them and he feeds the 4,000 and he begins to um, teach them about the Pharisees. He says, hey, you need to watch out for these guys. It's time for them to really start seeing this big picture of what Jesus' purpose really is all about because he starts talking now in parables about the kingdom of heaven and the disciples don't get it. He starts talking to them about the cost of discipleship. Don't even get it. They come to him. They go, oh, man, you're talking a lot about heaven. By the way, who's the greatest in heaven? Can you just tell us who's the greatest is? I mean, they're they're still caught up in this. Jesus is going to be the conquering king. And there's something about them being a part of Jesus, who's the conquering king. I mean, I'm on the winning team. We are going to wipe everybody out. Yeah, it's us that's what it's all about these guys aren't getting it jesus came and was telling them a message that was much different than the, than, than what the disciples thought was going to happen you know have you ever as you're kind of meandering through a day or praying or spending time alone have something come to your mind that you did when you were younger and you just go oh, God, what a stupid thing that was you know he'd go oh, man if i could go back and change that i would just do that in a heartbeat now what a dumb thing that was i think i think i think the disciples did that you think peter as as he as he was sitting maybe meditating and all of a sudden he saw himself denying jesus for the third time he goes oh man if i could do that again or or last last sunday when doug was talking about james and john and, and jesus is walking through Samaria, right And he comes to the inn, and the guy goes, you're not staying here. Get out of here. And they go, hey, you want us to send fire down from heaven? Remember that? You think that those guys go, oh, God, did we really say that? Did we really say that? I think there's another experience, and I I just want us to look at this because I want us to begin to understand that this pilgrimage through the young man stage is a pilgrimage, we really don't even arrive. We kind of move into it. We move into the father stage and we can t- continue to develop and, and transform as we go through life. It's a transformational process that happens in us until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. So, so let's turn to Matthew 20. This is just great. I mean, I just think John, when John goes back and he relives us, he goes, Oh, really? Did I really do that? Oh gosh, what was I thinking? So here's what happened in in verse 17 of Matthew 20. It says, Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem and he took the 12 disciples aside by themselves and on the way he said to them, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. You guys, I am gonna get handed over by the Pharisees and they're going to hand me over to the Gentiles, and they're going to murder me. They're going to torture me, and they're going to murder me. Pretty heavy, huh? And he goes, on the third day, he'll, he'll be raised up. So the, the disciples were so impacted by that that here's what they did. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons. So she comes, and mothers are like this because they always want what's best for the kids, Right? And she comes with her son, so they're there, they're a part of this thing, and bowing down and making a request to him. He, says, he said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, command that in your kingdom, these two sons of mine may sit one at your right hand and one at your left hand. Yeah, Jesus, you're going to get murdered. But hey, it's like coming to your parents and they're on the deathbed and said, hey, can I have the Corvette? You know, it's like, really, really? And Jesus, this is, if we're fathers and we're discipling young people, listen to Jesus, man. This is how Jesus is all, this is what Jesus is all about. He goes, hey, you guys. Says, my cup you shall drink. If you really want it, go for it. You're going to be sorry, but go for it. But to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those to, from whom has prepared by my Father. So again, Jesus is submitting to the Lord and the Lord's direction and the Lord's purpose in his life. And hearing this, of course, the ten, not to be left out, became indignant with the two brothers, and so a fight erupts, um, which happens with, with those young uh, adults and stuff. So just it's going to be a great weekend, Cole, don't worry. Um, but Jesus called them to himself, and here's the teaching moment. Now, see, this is a time where when we're discipling people and we're loving people, we look for those teachable moments. And this is a teachable moment for Jesus. And he calls them together and he says, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great men exercise authority over them. It's not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. What a great teaching moment that Jesus took something that was a selfish, self-centered thing and turned it into an opportunity to realize what God's bigger picture was and what God's bigger purposes are. And, you know, as we grow as young men, it's really important for us to understand that. It's it's, it's so that we understand what God's purposes are for us and what he wants to accomplish in us. See, here's the thing as we grow, and this is a challenge for us, people, because, you know, I remember um, several months ago, Rachel posted this picture on Facebook of Will. Will. And I'm sure you guys posted a bunch too. where Will took his first two steps, you know, and he goes, punk," you know, and they go, oh, look at that. That's so cool. He took two steps, man. That's so awesome. The kid fell down. He only took two steps for crying out loud. How could that be all that great? But boy, when, when development happens, happens in young kids, it's just great. We go, man, that's so exciting. He took two steps and then he took four steps and now he's running all over the place. I mean, how awesome is that? But, you know, RJ, they don't get real excited if he runs around. I mean, the, he's past that stage, right? But he has a bike. Any of your kids riding bikes yet? Not yet, huh? Oh, wait. <laughs> I mean, RJ's got his training wheels, you know, and he's like, oh, you know. And soon he's going to get comfortable in that thing, and he's going to ride it. And he's going to you know be less and less on the training wheels. And then his parents are going to go, you know, it's time for those things to come off. And you know what happens when they come off? Bam! Right? Skin and arm, skin and knee. Vanessa's going to rattle over and go, Oh, Angie, you'll be good, you'll be good. And, you know, Ricky gets up, come on, get on the bike, let's go, come on, you can do it, son. You know, growth is a thing that, that happens as children move from this young um, child stage into young adult stage. And sometimes, you guys, and this is a caution for us, we don't give the same grace to each other as we grow spiritually into the young adult stage, do we? I mean, we tend to be less patient with somebody that isn't growing as fast as we think they should grow, that aren't transforming as fast as we think that that transformation should happen. We're less patient with each other to allow us to grow and be transformed into God's image. And I think we need to be patient both with ourselves and with each other to encourage each other to grow. It's okay to fail. It's okay to take steps and fall down. It's okay to try new things and get out and be a light and and not to be comfortable with it. That's part of what growth is all about. And somehow we feel like we get to this level and we we don't want to take any more chances. We don't want to get ourselves out there where we're uncomfortable. And we like to just stay where it's safe and where it's cozy. And I want to challenge us to get out of that because as we continue to move forward, amazing things happen. See, the disciples just didn't get it. In fact, all the way through the end of the chapter of Matthew, even through the fact that Jesus died, he rose again, he came to the disciples, and he gave them the Great Commission, they still didn't get it. How do I know they didn't get it? If you read Acts 1-6, you know what they say in Acts 1-6? As Jesus is just getting ready to ascend into heaven, he's already talked to them, he's already hung out with them a bunch of times, and in Acts 1-6, they say to him, they go, is now the time... That, Israel is gonna, um, that, that you're going to move Israel into, let me see if I have the quote. Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Ha! All the stuff he's saying, my purpose is this. And they go, well, now are you going to conquer Israel? Or now are now you going to be the conquering king? I mean, Jesus just goes, I'm out of here. You know, so let God deal with them. You know? See, the the, the development that happens is is a process that God allows us to go through. But look, if you look at Acts 2, we start seeing this thing happen in a real powerful way. In Acts 2, all of a sudden, Pentecost happens. Peter stands up and he starts sharing. And he he shares scripture about Jesus. And this is pretty exciting because Jesus told him, hey, don't worry about what you're going to say because when the time comes, the Holy Spirit's going to tell you what to say. See, I don't think Peter goes, well, you know, there's probably going to be this crowd out there. So I push to get my commentaries together and I should try to figure out what passages to share. And I should get, somebody, get my notes. I mean, hey, he just stood up and what God told him to say, he said. And, and thousands of people met the Lord. And then as they continue to go through, this is Acts 3 is where we really start seeing these guys come in to the young man stage. What a great example of, of people being able to move from childhood to young man. Turn to Acts 3 with me just for a minute. In Acts 3, starting at verse 6, it says that this guy that they, they always put this lame man by the temple, and, and he's, he's got to make money. That's how he makes money. He just begs. So Peter and John in verse 6 come to him, and they say, hey, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus and Nazarene, walk. It says in verse 7, that seizing them by the right hand, he raised them up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk, and then he goes into the temple with these guys, and he is just excited about everything. He's in that baby stage, man. He doesn't care why it happened or how it happened. All he knows is it happened, and he's loving it, okay? So verse 11, it says, while he's clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them, the so-called portico Solomon, full of amazement. Here's the maturity that begins to happen in Peter. When Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we made him walk? Why would you think we're the ones who did this? He says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disown the holy and righteous one and ask for a murderer to be granted to you. But put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. Peter starts preaching the gospel. Verse 16, and on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus that would strengthen this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. Who gets glorified? Jesus. Jesus whose name is recognized? Jesus. Who did it? Jesus. Is is Peter talking at all about him or John? This is when you know that your purpose has begun to change when it becomes more about Jesus than about us. When it becomes more about Jesus than about me, I know the transformation is really uh, beginning to occur. Because then it's God doing the stuff, it's not me doing the stuff. Now we become people who have overcome the enemy because the power to overcome the enemy isn't in my power, is it? It's in the power of Jesus Christ. It's in the transforming power of what God does in me that causes that transformation. And then here's where you really begin to see that they're getting the big picture. Verse 18. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets. Here's where Peter finally gets it. That his Christ... Would suffer. Has thus been fulfilled. All the times that Jesus said, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be raised from the dead. And they go, so when are you going to conquer Rome? Well, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. But when are you going to conquer Rome? But I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. But when are you going to conquer Rome? Well, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. But can we be with you when you conquer Rome? I mean, they just didn't get it. You know what happened? Jesus got it to them and they got it. The purpose of Jesus is not for us to have big houses, big cars, comfortable lives, all that stuff that really is important to us. The purpose that Jesus came was so that he could suffer, so that people who were in the dark could see the light, so that people who were lost and going to hell could recognize that their salvation and that their salvation in the Savior. And it goes on through the rest of that chapter where they preach that message and then it says that the, while they were speaking to the people, the, the chief priests and the Sadducees came to them. See, in these Sadducees, man, they're not... It's Sadducee how they act. <laughs> Just seeing if you're listening. <laughs> and so they take these guys, they throw them in jail. The next day they bring them in verse 6 to Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all these, high, these high-powered guys. They place them in the center... They began to ask him in verse 7, by what power and what name have you done this? And Peter filled up the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to you that all the people of Israel, that the name of Jesus Christ in Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stood before you in good health. Who gets the glory? Jesus. Do you know when you know you're a mature person who's walking in the, in the and overcoming the, other one. the evil one is when Jesus is the one who gets the glory in everything that you do. He's the stone which is rejected. Verse 12, there's salvation in no one else. They preach the gospel. Now as they observed them, verse 13, this is pretty awesome. Now as they observed, observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. You know, when you become a young man who is transformed, people begin to recognize you as somebody who's been with Jesus. That's an exciting thing to be. And then seeing them healed and saying that they didn't know what to do, and so they said, well, what do we do? And they said, well, let's just tell them they can't do that anymore. And then in verse 19, Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And then they threatened him some more. When was the last time that Peter was recognized as being with Jesus before this? The crucifixion, right? Jesus is before Pilate, and this girl comes to him and goes, you were with Jesus. And what did Peter say? No, <laughs> not me, man. No, it was you. I know it was you. No, 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 no. You got the wrong guy. I'm sure it was you. And he starts cussing and swearing just so people would know he really wasn't with Jesus. Now what happens? Ah, you're with Jesus. He goes, yep, I was. And you know what? I would rather obey God than you, and you can do whatever you want to me. You you choose whether it's right or not for me to obey God, but I'm obeying God. What a transformation. What a transformation that happens when we're people who walk with, with, with Christ. And it has to happen. It has to happen. When we move from the childhood into the young man stage, we have to be willing to grow and to develop. And as we do, we realize that the things that occur in us as we grow through are exciting things, but we need to understand that change is okay. See, when people are in children's stage, in that child's stage, we need to understand that they're going to grow and develop, and we need to be fathers who coach and develop them. You see, I I know that probably Rachel and Robbie are excited about the fact, and you guys probably too, are some of yours. When when the kids get potty trained, right? And finally, no more diapers. And you kind, you know, first time that Will goes to the bathroom, they're gonna go, yes, that's great. But you know, I just don't think that Rachel probably says every time Robbie goes to the bathroom, oh, good job, Robbie, use the bathroom. (laughs) You know, it's probably okay. You know, if Will has a little bit of a temper tantrum every once in a while, you know, and, and, and he doesn't really like what's going on. Maybe he's a little bit tired. He's a little bit cranky. He starts crying. He starts carrying on. I mean, that's probably okay. We would go, okay, I mean, he's, he's, he's a child. Probably isn't so acceptable if Rachel just fell down on the ground and started screaming and yelling because, you know, Robbie wasn't ready to leave yet because he had to talk to Doug. See, as we move from childhood into a to young man, Things change. Responsibilities change. Our expectations change. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that begins to allow us to be people who behave differently. Because we need to be people who, who are being transformed by the Holy Spirit. And it says that it's, it's because of the abiding word of God. See, the abiding word of God is when we make the word of God home in us. Jesus spent a whole chapter in John 15 a talk talking about how critical it is for us to abide in him, and being able to abide in him is a thing that empowers us as young men to overcome the enemy. See, when Jesus was in the the wilderness, right, Jesus was being prepared for his ministry. Jesus was being prepared for the purposes that God had for him, right, and Satan knew that. So what was Satan trying to do? Anything he could to keep Jesus from doing what Jesus needed to do, because Satan certainly doesn't want lost souls saved, amen? Amen. And so he did everything he could do to try to keep Jesus from fulfilling the purposes that God had for him. And what did did Jesus say every time Satan threw something at him? It is written. It is written. It is written. It is written. How are we going to say it is written if we don't know what is written? And here's the exciting thing. It's not just quoting scripture. It's it's being submissive to the word of God. See, Jesus said, listen, listen, God says this, this is true, and this is how I'm going to live. It's not just that it's written. It's that this is God's word for me and God's direction for my life. And therefore, I am not going to walk in obedience to you. I'm not going to do what you want me to do. And and Satan's strategy doesn't change. Satan's strategy has always been deception. Satan's strategy is always to get people to do stuff that probably... is is not the things they need to do, and so as as Christians, we need to be in a culture just like John was when there's this heresy going around that Jesus really wasn't Jesus. He really didn't live. He really didn't die. You can do whatever you want. It really isn't sin. Does that sound familiar? And we need to be Christians who understand what it's like to speak the truth in love. Doug spent a long time talking about the fact that there's grace and there's truth, and we need to have grace with people and love people, but we also need to speak the truth. Because here's the thing. Today, you know, here's our challenge. You know, we're being told today not to be tied down by preconceived opinions and religious traditions. I mean, we're to explore the other side of our personality. I mean, this is just who I am, right? So how could you expect me to be something different? I mean, our young people in universities are being told all over the country that you can't change the way you were born the tendencies you have here on earth, and it can't change those. And, and, and if you are, and if you're part of that, th- then it's wrong for any church or family member to have any unreal parameters around your true being. I mean, if that's how you are, what right does a church to tell you that, that you should be different from that? If that's how you're born, what right does your parents even have to tell you that you shouldn't live that way? I mean, that's a challenge that we're up against. And here's the thing, man. Love doesn't mean that we um, have to be compliant. Love doesn't equal compliance. We can be loving the community and not be compliant to this garbage that's being spread around today. And as young men, if we're going to go out into the battlefield, we need to understand. I mean, Doug uh, preached a message a few weeks ago just about how dire our situation is and the darkness that we live in. And let me tell you something that's really profound. And we need to understand this. People in the dark are in the dark. Got it? People in the dark are in the dark. So we get all upset about these people that are going, yeah, but that's how they're born. That's how they should be. Why should we not accept that? They don't get it. See, we can't be upset for people when they walk into a dark house and they start tripping over the furniture and they start knocking over lamps and they they stumble. We can't be upset. You know what we need to do? Turn on the stinking light. Right? We don't stand there in the dark and say, what are you doing? You're wrecking my house. Turn on the light. We need to be people who are willing to turn on the light. I mean, listen. This is really important. Listen to this. Every, okay, you with me? Every single person fights with some dark, devilish sin. You got it? See, here's the problem. It's it's, it's when it's no longer called sin, and it's just the way it is, then people that are struggling with that sin, they just go, well, hey, it's not sin, so it's okay. See, that's the, that's the direction we're moving as a culture. And here's the challenge. Listen, there, there are people here, okay? There's people here with a tendency to lie. Yep, they're maybe sitting close to you. And, and here's the thing. I mean, should we just go, well, that's just the way they are, so let's just let them lie about everything. I mean, it's okay after all. Why should there be any parameters placed about, around your true being? So just be a liar just just lie all the time or or, you know there's some people that are probably sitting around you that have a propensity to shoplift right so if they come into your shop or your store or into your house and they start taking things don't get mad at them it's just how they are I mean why why would why would we want them to change it's just the way that they're born I mean, why would we get so mad at this guy just because he happens to like children? It's not his fault. That's the way he was born. I mean, can you guys see the absurdity of this logic that's being spread across our country? And then we're we're being told that, that you know, why, why are you guys getting so upset about this? Why are you guys being so judgmental? You need to be tolerant. You need to be accepting. You need to have a big tent. Man, I tell you, when we come in, we can speak truth and love. We can come and say sin is sin. Lying, rape, gossip, murder, homosexuality, adultery, alcoholism, pornography, anger. I mean, whatever it might be. We have a tendency to say this is and this isn't. No, it's not. We need to call it what it is and say as people, we need to recognize that sin is sin. And it's a part of man's depraved nature and human psyche and it's got to be repented of and we have to be restrained from it and it has to be reckoned dead. It's not to be accepted, it's not to be justified, it's not to be rationalized. We don't excuse it, we deal a death blow to it. And how do you deal a death blow to it? By abiding in the word of God, by having the word of God be that which abides in you. Young men, You are strong and overcome the evil one because his word abides in you. His word has become a home in you. It doesn't reside at the same time as sin. The word casts out sin. The transformation that happens in us as the word of God moves in us is a powerful thing. I don't care what my tendency is. I come to the Lord and I say, it doesn't matter. Whatever my tendency is, whether it's porn or alcoholism or sexuality or lust or anger or whatever it is, the word of God says, flee youthful lust. Don't accept it into your life. Reject it by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. We have got to come against our culture. Amen. This is how the young men become overcomers. And the interesting thing is, he doesn't say that they're gonna overcome. He doesn't say that they can or can overcome, he says they have overcome. Amen. It's, it's God's work in us that allows us to be transformational people who overcome the, the enemy through the work that God does in us. And here's the thing, you guys do a, do a spiritual checkup. How much time do you spend in the Word of God? How well do you know the Word of God? What's your priority around the Word of God in your life? It has to be the number one priority. And I tell you, we challenge all that because, go, oh, i got to find time for it. You don't have to find time. It's not lost. <laughs> it's, you have to make time. See, we have pressing things, and we have important things. And usually the pressing things aren't that important, but the important things are the things we put off, like our relationship with God and the spiritual growth that needs to happen in our relationship with God so that we can become people who overcome the enemy. See, it's not those people out there that are the enemy. It's the enemy that keeps those people in the dark. Are you with me? That's what we need to come against by speaking truth and helping people understand truth. And here's our challenge. And I want to just kind of wrap it up with this. See, chronological growth is unavoidable. Chronological growth is unavoidable. We are going to grow older. No matter how much Christy Brinkley tries to get you to believe that's not true, or any of those other people, you are going to get older. Okay? It's just the reality. But spiritual growth and maturity is intentional. You have to choose to grow spiritually. You have to choose to become a more mature Christian. And here's our challenge, because I think we get sucked into this. We, 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 we come to the Lord and we're excited about the Lord and the Lord is changing our lives and we're beginning to grow and he's beginning to remove some of the stuff in our life that has been cluttering up our lives and we're so excited about that because I'm more loving and I know God more and I know more scripture and, and all this stuff. And so we come to, to church and we go, man, I'm so excited about the work you're doing in my life, Lord, thank you, I love you, daddy. And we just have a love fest. And then we go home. And then God does some more work in us, and then we come back. And we go, Oh, thank you, God, for the work you're doing in my life. And I'm so excited about who I'm becoming. And then we go home. And then we come back. And we go home, and we come back. And never does the light shine in the community because we're too uncomfortable, because we're too afraid, because we don't want to suffer, because we think that God's purpose for us is to be comfortable. We think God's purpose for us is to, however, we define it. You know what God's purpose is for you? To be a light in the world. God's purpose is for us as Christians to be sprinkled out in the community and to be salt that's just spread out into the community. That we become light out into the community. He equips us so that we can go out and be light, not so we can come in here and sing kumbaya. And thank God for how good he is and that he's our daddy. We need to move past the daddy stage into the young adult stage where people are beginning to see us as a light in the midst of darkness. And people are going to stop tripping over the furniture because we're going to start turning on the light. And you'll be surprised how many people go, wow, I never knew that. I never understood that. I never saw it that way. I was with a guy this past weekend whose sister... Was was a flaming homosexual. I mean, she was just on fire. And 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 he talked to her one time. He goes, you know, you're not a Christian. He goes, she goes, yes, I am. He goes, really, you're not. And she went to church out in Phoenix, and heard the gospel for the first time. And you know what she did? She turned her back on that lifestyle. She goes, I can't believe the lies I believed. I can't believe the deception I fell into. I can't believe all that stuff that was poured into me that was telling me that this was true about me. And it was all lies. I can't believe that. And you know what? She is the most on fire Christian. She's turned her back on that entire lifestyle. She's turned her back on all that stuff. And she is like on fire for the Lord because the Lord has done a transforming work in her life. Because somebody chose to be a light and in love say, you know, what you think is a Christian isn't really what a Christian is. Go find out what it really means to know Jesus. Transformational, you guys. See, we have opportunities at the church over the next several months to volunteer for things. Bo and Mim are, are, are looking for volunteers who will go and just serve in the, in the schools. I mean, we can just go volunteer. Is, is it uncomfortable? Yeah, probably. I mean, will it be a little bit nerve-wracking? Yeah, Maybe. I mean, will you maybe run into some kids like, I, I would go on to the eighth grade campus with Marge, and I just wanted to start banging heads. I just couldn't help myself. Like, oh, no, 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 hold me back. I mean, but you know what? God, God wants us to be a light. What a great opportunity for us as a church to get into the schools and love people and serve teachers and, and make a difference. See, young men, we have overcome the evil one. Because we have, the word of God abides in us and is transforming us. Let's be world changers. Love God, love people, change the world. Let's pray together.